Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, we're going to preview USC's matchup with the Colorado Buffaloes. We got Adam Munstertiger. He's the publisher, longtime publisher of BuffStampede.com. We'll have him a little bit later on in the show, and we're going to preview everything's going on with USC and Colorado. Of course, we're still waiting if the game is going to be played, but we are recording this around uh, lunchtime on the West Coast on Wednesday. And as of now, the game is still on. So we're waiting to see some of the the COVID contact tracing, most likely rounds of testing at USC. Um, we heard of the one player that did pes- test positive and you know, how many other players will be affected. Will USC have enough players and will any position groups be severely uh, impacted? And if not, and they'll be able to play. Uh, but USC would be down uh, probably, you know, a couple of players at least, and we'll see how many. If it's too many players, then the game is likely not going to happen. We've seen that throughout the Pac-12. USC's been lucky that it hasn't impacted them at all, either them, you know, the, the USC Trojan football team, or any of USC's opponents. Um, so, yeah, we'll wait to see for that. But uh, we're gonna I'm going to do a few questions first that we got sent in that didn't make it into the Harvey Hyde podcast or the Keela Your podcast, and then we'll push forward uh, from there. All right. We had an email from Franco. He said, uh, you guys are the best. Uh, I always love comedy, the comedy bit routine over number nine's name. Um, so he's talking about Keaton Slovis. And yes, Coach Harvey Hyde has an issue calling him Kendon a lot. I'll, re- I'll uh, correct him. And he still says Kendon or whatever. I'm not sure why. We're in the second year of this. So I'm sorry about that. But that's uh, that's a coach. That's part of his charm. Uh, I was hoping we'd learn a bit more about the team this past week. But Utah really didn't look like they were ready to play. Hopefully, we'll learn a bit more about Colorado. The best part of the season thus far is that our eight-year-old daughter, Scarlett, has suddenly become a huge football fan. She shares my insomnia, so late-night Pac-12 games uh, on Eastern time have become a great father-slash-daughter bonding experience. I asked her if she wanted to listen to you and Coach Hyde on the podcast. Her reply, that's okay, Daddy. I'd rather just watch the game. But she's only eight, so we still have plenty of time to turn her into a fan. That's from Franco. Franco, thanks so much. And uh, shout out to uh, Scarlett. You know, if you ever want to listen to the show, we'll be here for you. But I'm glad you're enjoying the games. And hopefully that's a great uh, bonding experience for you and your dad. Something that you'll remember uh, well into the rest of your life. So I, I, I remember bonding with my dad or my grandfather over whatever it was. Steeler games when I was in Pittsburgh or going fishing. And those are special moments. So Franco, that was a really uh, nice email. And I appreciate you uh, sending that in. You know, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, uh, if you want to email us, because we just got an email I read to you, podcast.uscfootball.com is the email address, or if you'd rather call, you can do that, uh, or text us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is the number, and uh, yeah, you could call or text us, like I said, leave a brief voicemail or send us a text, and then, you know, on Apple Podcasts, if you have an Apple device, an iPad or an iPhone, you know, Subscribe there for sure, but leave a five-star rating is always very helpful. Any kind of reviews, comments, feedback, suggestions that you would like to put on there, we'd love to read them on the air. And if you have any questions, we'll bump you right up to the top of the list. But yeah, so there's a lot of ways to get a hold of us, a lot of ways to 
consume the podcast, and we do appreciate that you have been doing that. Um, we got an email from Steve. He's talking about Keaton Slovis' performance and some food for thought. And he's an all caps kind of emailer. So Steve, you can uh, you don't have to do the all caps thing. You can maybe just you know hit the uh, hit that shift key every once in a while if you want to capitalize the the first letter of a proper name or the beginning of a sentence. But anyway, last year Slovis uh, he says Slovis slow man to man coverage. Oh, I'm sorry, he saw slow uh, man. I words are hard th- today. Slovis saw man to man coverage. I think it's this all caps thing. It's look, it looks looks really weird. Probably, this is the coverage he saw in high school. Now, teams are playing a zone defense, probably a coverage he did not have the same level of comfort playing against. Thus, the release is compromised, not the same level of confidence. I played a lot of baseball when I was young. I found that my golf swing improved when I practiced. I used my baseball uh, batting swing technique. My golf swing improved. Why did this work? A motion that I felt comfortable with. Well, thanks, Steve, for the insights there. It's funny Um, I had the opposite effect when I was playing in a bunch of softball leagues and trying to get better at golf. I found like when I was playing, you know, better at softball and and hitting stuff, I pretty good power hitter. I'm a tall guy. Um, my golf swing suffered because it would be more of a baseball swing. And I was using, I was kind of stepping into it like you would when you're, you're hitting a baseball. So I really, my golf swing got worse. So when I stopped playing any sort of softball stuff, uh, the, the swing got a little bit better. So I had a little bit different effect and maybe it was, um, you know, what I wasn't comfortable with. I was more comfortable cause I played baseball my whole life growing up and then you're trying to learn golf and it's a little different. So I, who knows, but as far as the man to man coverage thing, we actually got to talk to, uh, Graham Harrell this morning. We, we were supposed to talk to him on Tuesday, but because of the COVID, issue that we did hear from Graham Harrell first and then we heard from uh Todd Orlando later on but you know he talked about the confidence level and just making sure that's something that he needs to do make sure he's a confident thrower of the court of, of the football uh going forward um you know he said there was the ball issue that Keaton thought that they were a little slick and sometimes that can get in your head but he liked the way that Slovis was spinning it but he also said that um you know, they Utah used a lot of zone coverages against USC, and last year it was almost exclusively man to man. And but I think most of the teams that Keaton faced last year, Steve, were playing zone coverages. They didn't see man to man all year. There was one team that tried to, and it was a team that had a bunch of NFL guys in their secondary, and they said, "Hey, we're going to play these USC receivers man to man." That's what we do, and it was not effective. Even and that wasn't even against Slovis. That was against uh, Matt Fink. So. We, when when you saw Utah with some great secondary players struggle against USC's receivers and Keaton Slovis throwing them the football, you didn't see a lot of man-to-man all last year. So I would say if everyone played Slovis man-to-man last year and then this year they're all playing zone, I, I get what you're saying. But that's not really what was happening. Mostly USC saw a lot of zone. They've done that, you know, not just for Slovis, just for the air raid in general. So, um yeah, but thank you for that one. And then we also have our buddy Dan, class of 1962. So he wrote in uh, to Keeley and myself uh, and then about the air raid scheme. And so now, and I responded to that on Tuesday. He's already written back, listen to the show. He says, Ryan, 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 I get that you like the air raid scheme, but the essence of good coaching is making adjustments. Yes. 
Slovis is an outstanding passer against man-to-man defenses, but defenses are now using eight-man zone defenses, which Slovis does not know how to attack because Harrell has not developed a scheme to defeat zone defenses. The running game becomes much more important as does play-action passing, which are not schemed effectively. John McKay and Pete Carroll were outstanding coaches because they made adjustments. Until Harrell and Helton come up with the scheme, you cannot blame any of the players, even the offensive line. You know the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. That is the current state of the offense. You praise Todd Orlando rightfully for making adjustments to his defense. Why, do you ex- why don't you expect the same from Harrell? Fight on win, Dan, class of 1962. Well, Dan, I think this is a, there's a, a bias in your um, emails in the past, and I think there's one here. You don't like it. You want to see more of a power running game and fullbacks and all that stuff. That's not this offense. It's just not. I'm sorry, but that's not what's going on. So, in my opinion, this will be me, you know, playing a two dollar shrink here. You're trying to pick issues with it outside of like the you know, the reasons you don't like it and saying that he doesn't make adjustments. I don't think is correct. Um, we've seen him, you know, Graham Harrell make adjustments and it's not like I just like in the last email, it's not like they've all last year was man to man. When, when Keaton Slovis threw for 400 yards in four of the last five games, I think all of them were zone defenses. I, I believe that, you know, that was mostly what you're seeing. That's mostly what USC saw. There were guys dropping back into coverage. Now, should you be able to run the football better? Uh, against a lot of those, yeah, I think I think you should. But this is not a run-first offense. It's a pass-first offense. We saw them run the ball pretty effectively against the Arizona schools and not very effectively against um, Utah, which is a much better defensive front. Yeah, they should have busted out more runs. I think they needed to focus on you know getting some some better runs and stuff. But it's not about man-to-man and zone. They've mostly seen zone. That's mostly what you saw. Like I said, Utah was the one team that stood out that they tried to go man to man and they got, you know, torched, but not even Keaton Slovis. It was by Matt Fink. So people learn. I think BYU showed, you know, everyone like, Hey, drop into eight, you know, back eight guys into coverage and make them pick you apart. And they've been pretty effective doing it for the most part. Right. I mean, it's not like they're not throwing for a whole bunch of yards. Um, they are now, are there going to be red zone issues and things like that? Yeah. I think there have been more this year than what we saw last year but to like to say like the whole air raid scheme all you got to do is play zone against i just don't think that's fair i think he's made adjustments um there's going to be strengths and weaknesses to whatever scheme you go with and there's there's people that are biased against a pass first type of offense which basically is college football in one way or another i mean that's what you're seeing is alabama running what like stanford was running years back no the alabama switched they're Throwing it all over the field, you know they got a, you know there's more of a mobile quarterback situation there, uh, and a lot of times you know when we've seen like a Tua or whatever, but you know USC hasn't really gone that way yet. But for the most part, people are airing it out, spreading it out, and throwing the ball all over the field. Now Alabama's still a super tough team. They got Najee Harris. They're you know they're crushing the run game too, uh, and I think you can do that um, if you're at USC and, and Graham Harrell and stuff like that. But there's there definitely, I think there's more adjustments to be made, but to just to poo-poo this saying, like, he doesn't make any adjustments. It's a terrible scheme. Like, I just don't buy it. Like, look what they did in 2018. Look what they did in 2019. Like, do you want to talk about bad scheme? That was a bad scheme. The gumbo, there was no direction. This is at least a very good plan. If you have a diet, and there's a dietitian um, 
analyzes this diet. And you, you can nitpick this and you're like, well, you're not getting enough vitamin this or, you, you know, here's a few too many carbs. You could make that better. But if you follow that diet, like you're probably going to get good results. Is it the ideal diet? No. But if you are following it, I, I think you're going to have, you, you're most likely to have better results. And I think this is a, a, a good diet. It's not a perfect diet, this version of the air raid. But if you follow it, you're going to get good results. And they, it's very clear. You have clear rules. This is what we do. If you can do that, and it's good for college players to give them something, you know, clear direction on what to do, it's probably going to be pretty effective most of the time. Now, when USC was running the gumbo, it was sort of like, well, you got some Atkins and you got some, uh, you know, Fin Fin or whatever, like there's 10 diets together and you're trying to take the best of all 10 and just make it, it doesn't work, you know, and then you're confused of what you're doing and you get the jumbled mess that you have. That, and even if you had fullbacks and you're running the ball more, it just wasn't a cohesive plan. It was not a good diet and it was hard to follow and USC's offense struggled. So to me, this is like an imperfect diet, but it's one that's easy to follow. And if you do it, will it, you you know, is, is it going to be optimized to the, you know, the, the max benefit? No, but that's going to be rare anyway. If you have like the perfect diet and you can't do anything on it, most people don't follow it. You know, that's a lot of like what we're talking about with, you know, when you're putting restrictions on society, like we're seeing in the coronavirus, if you back off the restrictions at all, or some people getting mad because like, oh, now you're going to, people are going to get sick. They're going to die. But the problem is if you put too many restrictions and they're too, they're way too restrictive and they're just being like conservative on that side, people might stop following it altogether. So would you rather put a restriction out there that's reasonable? So would you rather have like a reasonable diet that you could follow that you'll get good results or put the most strict diet possible and then you just eat ice cream all day because you're just like, ah, screw it, I'm done. Um, so there's kind of like that balance there. I like the balance that this offense brings. It's not perfect, but going forward, I think you, you're you going to put your players in a good position to succeed. We've seen it struggle a little bit more this year than we did last year, and some of it's going to be you know, adjustments defenses have made, um, but it's not as simple as everyone just ran a man defense last year and they're all running zone uh, this year. All right, Dan, sorry, that was kind of a long, uh, long-winded one there. But, all right, let's, uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and do our preview. Back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I want to welcome in a friend of mine, Adam Munster-Tiger. Follow him on Twitter at Adam 
MCM777 does a great job covering the Colorado Buffaloes. He's been the publisher of Buff Stampede since 2003, and uh, we love having him on to talk about the Buffs. I was completely wrong in the beginning of the season about Colorado. Uh, yet again, I don't learn my lesson, but you know, Adam's <laughs> going to set me straight. Adam, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Just just living day by day like we all are right now. We're st- as, as we're recording this, like I said earlier at the top of the show, we're hoping that this game happens, so we want to give a preview. Uh, you know, obviously it's things change at the last minute. We've seen it happen before. I think Colorado had that issue, uh, last week pop up and there just wasn't enough time to kind of schedule something new. So it's sort of like the same thing. Oh, you know, it's groundhog's day for, for Colorado, I would guess. Yeah, no question. Uh, they've, they've been able to stay healthy to this point, but, uh, Carl Durrell told us today, he said, I'm nervous as hell because, they got Thanksgiving coming up, and and I was actually kind of surprised. I thought they would make the players um, stay in Boulder, but but apparently, uh, you know, the kids that are local are going to be able to go home, and obviously they're they're told to be smart about it. But uh, yeah, you know, they they've been able to to stay healthy to this point, but uh, as these numbers are just spiking up around the country, it seems like only a matter of time before you know it's going to seemingly affect everybody at some point. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's definitely. An interesting thing. We asked Clay Helton about that this week, and he said that the players weren't going to be going home uh, for USC, but they're dealing with their own, you know, COVID issue now. A player uh, tested positive on Monday, so like we said, we'll be waiting to hear what happens. But we're going to assume from this point forward that the game is going to happen, and we'll talk about uh, playing with Colorado. And I mentioned at the top, Adam, like when I for the podcast of champions, my thought was, well, Carl Durrell comes in. He hasn't coached in college for 13 years. He came in like February really didn't get a chance to meet players and, and is going to have to like talk to everyone over zoom. The quarterback was a safety last year. Um, you know, there wasn't any spring practice to, to kind of get everyone acclimated. I just think Colorado's not going to be that good. And I said that last year when Mel Tucker came in and get some big wins early on, uh, you know, two and zero already on the season. So I was completely wrong again on, uh, this buff team. What, what's gone right. What's, what's worked with Carl Durrell coming in that they could play at a, at a high level so early on. Well, just first off, his personality was perfect for 2020. You know, Mel Tucker did some good things. Uh, you know, he brought some swagger with him to the job. You know, he was the type of coach if they get a big win, he's in the middle uh, of the locker room dancing with the players, and he's got all the the Twitter hashtags and all that stuff. Carl Drill is kind of the polar opposite. He's uh, very even keeled. Uh, you could probably call him soft spoken, but but he's very deliberate with his words, and he's just not a flashy personality and so you know during the shutdown uh, they were able to do a lot of stuff over zoom and and, you know work on getting their systems in place and in the players learning that from a mental standpoint and yeah his leadership has just been been rock steady and like i mentioned that you know they haven't had covid issues he's done a good job leading it in that sense you know keeping this team healthy um and then you know he he retained Darren Cheverini and Tyson Summers, I think that was a big deal from a continuity standpoint. Tyson Summers, they, they'd shown you know, improvement with him as a defensive coordinator late last season. And they, they've given up quite a few points this year, but they've been really stout against the run. And then with Darren Cheverini, he called plays in 2018. And they're doing really well offensively early on in the season. But it was that game against USC where LaVisca Chenault suffered a turf toe injury and they were just too LaVisca Chanel centric with that offense. And, and so Darren Cheverini learned a lot that, that first stint as a play caller, he had those duties stripped of him last year, but uh, 
Carl Durrell came in and, and Cheverini was actually a candidate for the head coaching job, but just you know, at the end of the day, maybe just not experienced enough as a coach to get that head coaching job right now. So Carl Durrell convinced him. Carl Durrell was actually Darren Cheverini's position coach uh, when Darren Cheverini was a player at CU. So they had a good relationship and he handed the keys over to the offense over to him. And it's just been a really well-balanced offensive attack. Again, it's a small sample size. It's only two games and they look good in 2018 for a while there with him as a play caller. So we'll see if he can keep that going. But Jarek Roussard's really stepped up at running back. The offensive line has played well. And uh, you mentioned Sam Neuer, you know, playing safety last year. He's exceeded everybody's expectations vastly. I mean, even the, the, the people that were optimistic about him thought he would be a game manager at best. So the fact that he's graded out as one of the better quarterbacks in the country, again, it's a two-game sample size. We'll see if he can continue that going forward. But it's been a shocker. You know, he's looked really good, just great poise in the pockets. And uh, he's a dual-threat quarterback that uh, at some point he's going to have to start sliding because he's been put, putting <laughs> throwing shoulder into defenders, trying to hurdle guys out there. That's probably not a good plan long-term. But, uh, you know, that's the type of uh, personality in Moxie that, that has really allowed his teammates to kind of rally around him. Steven Montez had all the physical tools, but just no consistency in his three years as a starter. So, uh, you know, it's it's been good for the program, I think, to kind of move forward because Montez, it just seemed like for whatever reason, it just was not going to come together for him uh, at CU. So, uh, you know, it's it's been pretty impressive. Again, I, I just don't know if this is going to continue, but through two weeks, uh, Sam Noyer has looked phenomenal. It's cool to have like a safety playing quarterback, you know, like a different mentality, you know, it's just, you get that position, like a real position guy. He's like, he's going to play it differently, you know, and he, he just looks like he's out there just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Neuer's best play as a player at, at CU prior to this year was one time he threw a pick six late in the game when he went in uh, uh, for Steven Montez and he came flying across the screen and just leveled out a UCLA player. And so <laughs> He's he's always kind of had that, but he really he he's not he's not really a, a safety per se. They they moved him there last year out of necessity. They just had no depth at that position, and he was uh, he wasn't the backup quarterback. Tyler Lytle was uh, that's who he competed with this preseason. But so he, he only played safety for about six months. He was always you know a quarterback before that. Yeah. The you know, so for the weird seasons, shortened season you're trying to like figure out what these games are going to do. So I have to come up with different theories. Uh, my one theory was like Colorado, Washington state wouldn't be that good. That's, that's wrong. Um, the other one though, was like the teams that weren't able to start their season until later, uh, like Cal, uh, we see Utah do that. They're probably going to struggle when you have teams that have played a game or two, you're playing a team that maybe didn't have everyone practicing. Not only could you not play, you probably couldn't even practice for the weeks, you know, you know, with a full team heading up to, those games, I thought they'd struggle. For Colorado, this will be different because we've seen, you know, the Buffs uh, in week one and week two, you know, good win at home against UCLA, uh, uh, you know, a, a road win uh, against Stanford. And then you kind of get pumped up for this Arizona State game, and that's canceled early. So you essentially have this bye week that you're, you've known about. It's not like a late cancel. You've, Colorado's been able to practice, like, basically two weeks for USC at this point. I kind of think in a situation like that where you're not suffering, uh, the, the, you know, that program isn't suffering from COVID concerns, everyone can practice, everyone can play, it's probably going to be somewhat of a benefit as opposed to starting the season and having guys out. Like, do you feel like Colorado's going to be a little bit better prepared for this game just having the extra time because of the 
impromptu bye week that we're, we're kind of thrust at them. Yeah, Ryan, I, I don't think that's going to be a, a big factor in terms of a benefit for, for Colorado because last week they, they were trying to play even after that Arizona State game got canceled. As Carl Durrell said, they were on high alert all week. They were, you know, the uh, ability to play out of conference schools uh, programs didn't come out until later in the week. So with, with the protocol in place there with, with the other team having to do testing more than, you know, a Mountain West school would be that they were talking about maybe playing CSU. They didn't really start preparing for USC until Saturday. They did a walkthrough. So I guess they got a little bit of a head start than they normally would have. Um, and, you know, they were able to get a couple guys healthy. I think Chris Miller, one of their, he plays a hybrid star back position, kind of a hybrid position. He, he's probably going to be back. Katie Nixon is probably going to be back, but Carl Durrell said this, and I agree with it. You know, they're 2-0. They've got a lot of momentum. I think they would have been better off continuing to play. Now, obviously, if they went out and lost Arizona State, that wouldn't be the case. But sometimes you, you, you could lose momentum by, by having a week off, uh, you know, especially just playing two games. It's not like it's, uh, you know, a regular season where they're six, seven weeks in and they really could use that break. Uh, there are only a couple guys that, like I mentioned, that will be, be able to get back as a result of having that extra week off. So, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a huge benefit for Colorado. Then, uh, you know, again, they didn't really start preparing for them until Saturday. It's, yeah. What, can we get a quick update on the injury situation? Um, you know, where Colorado stands right now, any uh, key players that would be out or coming back? Yes. They're starting center. Colby Purcell, uh, Carl Drell just said today is, is not back in f- uh, full contact work yet. So he's probably going to be out again. They slid uh, their left guard, Kari Cush into center. He, had issues with some snaps early against Stanford. It was his first time playing center, but he settled into that role. Uh, so, the, yeah, their starting center's out, and then their top two tight ends are out. Brady Russell had a really good game against UCLA and then got hurt early against Stanford. Their backup, Matt Lynch, a transfer from UCLA, got hurt late against Stanford. So they've their depth at tight end right now is walk-ons. Uh, so I'd imagine what they're going to do is instead of like they in week one, they were really trying to feature Brady Russell in the passing game with those tight ends are mostly just going to be out there for blocking purposes. But, uh, you know, they've, they've got a pretty good group at receiver. Katie Nixon will be back. He's the guy with the most experience there. And then I mentioned Chris Miller on defense should be back. Uh, so the, the main injury right now are to, to the tight ends in, in their starting center. We uh, you started talking about Sam Norrie a little bit. I wanted to, uh, you know, dive into the, the Colorado offense, you know, LaVisca Chenault was an absolute beast. Uh, you know, Tony Brown was really effective. Getting like a Katie Nixon back, um, I think will, you know, Dixon help will help. But like, where do you see um, this Colorado offense kind of going? And if they've rallied around, you know, Sam Neuer as a, you know, guy that's been around the program, but, you know, really the, getting the first opportunity to uh, lead this team. Yeah, I mean, you get a start on offense with Jarek Broussard, who was not, slated to be their starting running back. Uh, I guess another injury I should mention is Alex Fontenot. He came into camp as their top guy. He was their starting running back last year, almost rushed for a thousand yards. Uh, he had a hip injury. So Jarek Broussard really stepped up. He was the, the biggest surprise of preseason camp coming off two ACLs. We had kind of written off Jarek Broussard. We do this top 30 buffs countdown every year, cutting down the top 30 players on the team. He wasn't even in consideration for that top 30 list. And he came out of nowhere this preseason, a five, nine shifty back that uh, runs with pretty good patience. And, you know, again, it's a small sample size, just two games, but he leads the pac 12 and in rushing by a pretty significant margin right now at receiver. Yeah. Losing Chenault, uh, 
you know, just one of the most dynamic players in the country. You could put him in the Wildcat formation in short yard situations, and it was pretty much guaranteed that he was going to convert all of those. Um, but, you know, they were a little bit, like I mentioned earlier, uh, they were a little bit too LaVisca Chenault-centric when he was healthy. It was like, they, you know, other teams would, would bracket him, and they, they would try to force it to him just because he was such a special talent. And sometimes I think that, that kind of hindered them offensively. And so now you have a little bit more of a balanced attack. Darren Chevrini is also the receivers coach, and he's just done a fantastic job recruiting to that room. And they've gone deeper with their rotation this year. Even with Katie Nixon out there, I mean, that was a group that, that played really well through the, the first couple of games. Dimitri Stanley, a local kid from Cherry Creek High School, has really emerged. He took a five-yard slant, uh, 55 yards, just outraced everybody on Stanford's defense uh, for a touchdown in their last game. So he's probably the number one guy you want to keep an eye on as a USC fan, just in terms of the Colorado's biggest threat through the, through the passing game. But Maurice Bell, Daniel Arias, uh, some other guys that had just been kind of waiting their turn. You kept hearing those guys were making a lot of plays in practice, but because of LaVisca Chenault and Tony Brown, they just weren't able to get on the field much until now. So it's a pretty deep group overall. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I think that's maybe the, the area where those of us that thought Colorado was going to be a little bit better than, you know, the, the odds maker sets the over hundred one and a half wins. And so that's where the outside expectations were, but you, you had a feeling because that, that skill group was a little bit underrated, that, uh, that they were going to have a little bit more success than maybe some people thought. Yeah, and I think for for USC fans, uh, watch Sam Neuer play. We've seen the Trojan defense have some struggles with quarterbacks that can move a little bit, and Sam definitely falls into that category. But even Grant Gunnell had a lot of effective runs. I think he had like six first down runs against USC, and he's not a mobile guy. So for a guy like Neuer, I mean, I think – one of those things where you, you get it's like a third and 11 or something, and he's able to pick up the, the first yardage with his feet. I think that could be a big weapon for Colorado in this game. Yeah, and it's something Colorado hasn't had in a long time. You know, Montez, we, we thought he was going to be more athletic than, than he ended up being. I mean, it, there was times when he would take off. He looked like a wounded deer trying to run. It was just not, not a very natural-looking <laughs> thing out there. But Sam Noir, yeah, you, you talk about he's he was a guy that – you had issues at safety last year, and, and he's athletic enough to be able to be a positional type player. So, uh, even on special teams last year, he was really good coming down on kickoff coverage. So, uh, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, they got to get him sliding at some point because uh, he's putting his body in, in harm's way too often. But uh, he definitely ha- brings a lot of athleticism to that position, and that's why he won the starting job. Tyler Lytle, who was the odds-on favorite going into camp to win the job is is not a dual threat at all and, and so i think that's why the coaches decided to go with neuer on the defensive side of the ball so like when i was trying to like think about previewing the season for colorado this was the one area that gave me some pause because you mentioned the continuity uh you know even though carl Durrell's new you got tyson summers back uh for her second season and there's some big name guys that even if you're like a casual Pac-12 fan, like you've probably heard of Nate Landman or Mustafa Johnson or Terrence Lang. There's some star power, it seems like, on the defensive side of the ball. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, where this Colorado defense is. Yeah, they, they're pretty stout against the run. And, and that's why I liked them going into their last game against Stanford is be, I just felt like they're, they're going to do well against a team that wants to have a power running attack. Now, their weakness is, uh, is in the secondary, and that's largely just uh, you know, a product of that being a really inexperienced group. Darian Reichstraw started some games at safety, but aside from that, 
you know, they've got a true freshman cornerback and Christian Gonzalez starting. He's going to be a really good player, but other teams are picking on him right now. And he's gotten, I think, three or four pass interference calls through through two games. So that's an area I, I don't like this matchup from Colorado's defense matching up against Slovis and obviously USC having one of the best receiving cores in the, in the country. So that part of it, I, I think is a tough matchup for them that there is the continuity with Tyson Summers back there. Uh, they're not swimming in the scheme as much as they were early on last year. But uh, yeah, if you're USC, you know, obviously every team wants to establish a grant, a good ground game, but that's probably not the way to, to attack this defense, you know, you're, you're going to want to attack them through the air and uh, they, they've had issues. Now, Carl drill feels like they're getting better. They, they worked on a lot of stuff during this, you know, bye week but uh, it, it's still a concern. That's the probably the biggest weakness of this entire team. The uh, whirlwind off season, you know, you bring in a guy like Mel Tucker who wasn't a head coach before and take a chance with him. And then, you know, the, People are everyone's looking for a head coach. Michigan State gives them over like five million dollars a year, and the guy was a one-year head coach for, that went five and seven. Um, part of it's just being able. That was part of the reason why you thought well, there's just going to be some turmoil there in Colorado for for Carl Durrell. I know, like you said, he was the perfect guy for a 2020 kind of coaching thing. Yeah. Has, has he? I mean, how settled did, does everyone seem in this kind of weird season? It, they, it has to be somewhat because I don't think you could see the kind of results we're seeing unless everyone seems to feel pretty comfortable with Carl Durrell running the show now. Yeah. You know, going back to Mel Tucker leaving, it, obviously they threw a lot of money at him. It, was, it makes sense why he left. Uh, but I mean, he was meeting with boosters the night that he took the job at that point and was still telling everybody that I, I'm staying here. I'm committed to Colorado. And so he left a week after they signed, uh, you know, the regular signing period in February. So it was a later departure than you're used to with coaching changes. So, yeah, it was a tough deal. And you really saw the leadership in this program step up for the first time since really 2016. It was an area in, in, in 2017 and 2018 where there just wasn't the, the team leadership that, that you need. And with Mel Tucker leaving, those guys really banded together and it became, okay, this is our program. And no matter who comes in here, uh, we're going to be doing this for each other. And, and yeah, they, they've done a good job with that from a leadership standpoint, Nate Lamon being one of the key guys there, Katie Nixon. And so Carl Durrell, I think just had the right personality. He came in and said, look guys, I know that you're hurt that, you know, you feel like you were abandoned and I'm not going to earn your trust overnight. It's going to be something that's going to take some time. So he, and again, his personality just, you know, has that even keeledness to it to where when he talks, it's not a whole lot of BS. You know, Mel Tucker really endeared himself to Colorado fans in the 14 months he was here. But uh, it was a lot of hot air coming out of his mouth. You know, he, he, <laughs> didn't, he didn't really back it up with his actions. And so I think Carl Durrell uh, is a guy that uh, you feel better about long term. He actually owned a house just outside Boulder you know, before taking this job, this was where he was coaching with the Miami Dolphins, what had been promoted to assistant head coach right before getting the CU job. And, you know, he was flying back to Colorado, you know, before he even got interviewed. This is this was his home. So, uh, you know, when he says this is a, a dream job, you know, it's not lip service. This is where his family had their their primary residence even before he got the job. The uh, on the special teams, I just want to kind of see what your assessment's been. Uh, any of the changes from the last couple of years and how of that, that, that unit performed uh, so far in 2020. 
Yeah, so their starting kicker, 33-year-old Australian James Stefano, got hurt uh, in the opener and actually retired. So th- they turned to a walk-on, Evan Price, who's actually been pretty solid. Uh, he's 11 for 13 in his career because Stefano had some other injuries earlier in his career as well. And the the two that he's missed have been blocked, so he has a tendency sometimes to kick it kind of low, which is an issue. But uh, once he gets it past that line, he's been uh, pretty much automatic. So they're they're pretty solid there. His kickoffs, though, we're pretty short against Stanford, and, and that could be an issue going forward if he can't start getting the ball closer to the end zone. Uh, they brought in a punter, a transfer from Pro Kick Australia, Josh Watts. He's been okay. He's he's averaging 41 yards per per kick right now per, per punt. Uh, so nothing spectacular, but he's not necessarily a, a you know a team weak link either. So uh, that's uh, kind of the situation there with the special teams. And Maurice Bell, their kickoff returner, has been close to breaking a couple. So uh, he's another guy to to keep an eye on. All right. Well, um, we don't know a lot about anything in 2020, but just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how you think this one is going to play out. We've at least seen, you know, these teams play five games between them. Um, how do you see this one playing out on uh, Saturday? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a competitive game. Again, though, I, I just don't like the matchup with USC strength offensively being able to kind of exploit Colorado's weakness defensively now uh you know last year they felt like they let one get away obviously colorado had a a double digit lead going into the fourth quarter usc comes back to win that game uh they've never beaten usc so uh we heard some of the players talk about the fact they had a player only meeting and brought that fact up that you know they have a chance to do something historical obviously uh usc and colorado are the only two again it's a small sample size but the only two undefeated teams in the south so it has implications there uh i think they're gonna be a pretty motivated group but uh I think uh, at the end of the day, USC's uh, air attack is going to be too much for Colorado. I see them winning somewhere somewhere in the 34 to 31 area. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, if the USC fans remember, Colorado was winning that game you know, handily going into the fourth quarter last year. I, it's a 13.5 point spread. That just seems like way too much uh, for me. And um, who knows, you know, if, if USC could have a couple key people out at, at the wrong position, um, there could be problems there too. So yeah, there's, there's a lot more X factors in these games this year yeah. than other years, but I, I like the way Colorado's playing. You can exploit the, you know, USC's, you know, run defense when it comes to quarterbacks. So we'll see. I mean, it's, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a competitive game. We'll see how it turns out, but, uh, yeah, it should be. Should be a good one. I'm I'm curious. I, this is def- definitely one to watch. Like you said, both teams are undefeated, so uh, you're in the driver's seat. Whoever wins this game is going to be in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South because Arizona State's pretty basically out of it, right? Um, yeah. Utah's 0-1. Uh, so I mean, if if Colorado goes three and 0, you know they're they're going to be in the driver's seat for this one. I think. Yeah. Fingers crossed until the kickoff. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> How, you know how we've had to cover you know these football teams this year it's it's been quite the change but uh yeah hopefully we, we see some football out there on saturday afternoon i'm crossing my fingers as well adam munster tiger uh check him out on buffstampede.com adam thanks so much man i really appreciate it of course thanks ryan you've been listening to the peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.